On this week's episode of Resi Week, we talk about Honeywell going to court over eye control and the Alarm.com merger. Toshiba takes a massive write down on this year. And there's some pretty cool tech coming that's kind of Kickstarter-ish, but it's maybe coming to a living room near you. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. Resi Week episode 56, No Innovation. This week's episode of Resi Week is brought to you by Viant and Infocom. This is Resi Week. Welcome to Resi Week. This is your weekly wrap up of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott for avnation.tv. And today I'm pleased to be joined by the one and only Jeremy Glowacki. He is the editor of Residential Systems. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for that uh, stirring intro. That's nice. I Thank you. <laughs> I'm full of energy on this Monday morning. It's, I'm, I'm doing good. Uh, then we are joined by longtime uh, watcher, not first time guest, but you know, you haven't been on in a while. It's Ron Callis. He is the CEO of One Firefly and he plays with robots. I do. Don't, don't let the secret out. Yeah. Happy to be back. It's been a few. Uh, it's been a while. It's been a little while. It's been a little while since I've been on, but happy to be back. Thanks, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. And last but not least, we have the guy who will try and take over my show 25 minutes in, Tim Albright. He's the founder and CEO of aviation.tv. How are I you, bud? I will do no such thing. You heard it here. He'll I will do no such thing. How are you doing? Yeah, sure you will. I'm doing great. I am doing fantastic. Let's, uh, let's kick this show off with a lovely story that comes to us from Julie Jacobson over at CE Pro. It seems Honeywell is suing to block the iControl and Alarm.com merger on antitrust grounds. Now, this is kind of a big deal because obviously Honeywell is a huge player in the residential and commercial security space, as well as all the other things that they do. But you could argue that iControl and Alarm.com, as stated in Julie's piece, own the large, you know, something like 70% of the smart home as a service provider uh, solutions. So gentlemen, does Honeywell have a, do they actually have something here? Or is this just them, you know, realizing that they're kind of behind the ball on this and they need to stop it before it gets out of hand? Jeremy, I'll, I'll throw that to you. Well, I'll admit up front that I'm not a, um, an expert on the security side of the business, but um, I do think that it appears that Honeywell is kind of uh, late to the game on some of this, and they're, they're trying to protect their uh, ability to catch up a little bit. But it does appear that 70% of the market will be dominated. Um, I would say that um, that's a little bit disconcerting. I don't like monopolies in general. I don't think most people do. And I... Um, I'm only hearing this side of the story, but uh, if that is the truth, I would say that's, uh, that's grounds for keeping those two apart. Ron, when you, when you read through this article and you look at it, when Honeywell refers to 18% remaining of the market, which would suggest that they only have 12% of it, is that, you know, 
is that a worrying point for anyone who is supplying or working with Honeywell, opposed to some of these other people that are more more well aligned with some of these other providers? Yeah, I think anybody that's looking to create devices and needs, uh, you know, is looking to integrate with a partner is watching this one very, very closely. It, it seems to me, you know, stating the obvious, um, Honeywell's very late to the ga game in terms of opening up their architecture and, and playing nice with others. And, you know, they're, you know, in all fairness, uh, the other guys have embraced open architecture and, and uh, developing partnerships. And now it's clearly coming to bite Honeywell in the, the, the rear end and they're, they're playing catch up. Now, I don't know the, the legalities of what exactly defines a monopoly. 70% certainly sounds like a monopoly, at least a majority share. And it's clearly going to A, harm anybody's, that, anybody that's looking to enter the space I know at the, the, tra the tail of the article, they, they cover a number of parties that are, are just trying to enter the space now and, and looking to make a foothold. I'm scrolling down to the bottom of the article now to try to find those references. Maybe I'll do it in a few moments here. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a, it's a real interesting case because I think Honeywell clearly has egg on their face for not uh, um, having the foresight to open up their architecture. And at the same time, a monopoly is bad because it kills competition. So I, I'm, it'll be real. I'm real curious to see how it plays out. Tim, given that Honeywell is closed architecture, how much is this just? Because you could argue that obviously Apple is one of the other big players in closed architecture um, technologies, yep. right? They're closed across the board, but they've had massive success and massive adoption in every avenue that they've gone into. Honeywell, on the other hand, still seems to be, dare I say, stuck 20 years ago. Whereas, you know, you know, 2GIG, Intelligix, Qlis, uh, DSC, all these other vendors that have open architecture and allow all this other stuff in um, and to play with their systems directly where Honeywell obviously does not. How much is this is, again, just Honeywell realizing they're behind the ball? Well, it, it's a little bit of that, but understand you—you—you you, you mentioned Apple, so we'll pick on them for a second. They well, don't have. Pick on them. Well, no, no. Here's the thing: you—you <laughs> you, you mentioned them. We'll—we'll we'll bring it up. In the smart home space, sure, absolutely. They—they've got—they've got good market share there. Desktop or 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 you know uh, laptop space, they don't. They simply don't have the the saturation. They don't have the market share that Microsoft, you know, number one does as, as far as an operating system. Here's the thing, though. Honeywell is freaking Honeywell. And I don't want to lose sight of that. Um, Honeywell is a big corporation. It's some, and it's a corporation. It's a company that you may not realize that you're using. You may not realize that you have, you know, interaction with. Um, I'm, I'm a little fearful. And I agree with Ron about the, you know, you know having a trust or, you know, having antitrust laws are good. Having a monopoly is, is bad. But <laughs> from the other side is, I'm afraid that you're right. I, this may just be Honeywell crying foul a little bit and saying, hey, you know, we, we may have missed the boat or, or we haven't gotten the market share that we think that we should at this point. And if you combine these two companies, holy crap, you know, we're, we're going to be out in the cold or have to do a lot more work to, to take market share away from those people. I love how the article references Honeywell's management stepping in and saying, you know, guys, we were – 
going to be launching an open, we, we were investigating, <laughs> strongly looking at going open architecture. This now close. Guys, not join. This now close, you're going to kill our ability to do that for this thing we don't have yet, but we could have it. I'm like, come on. We'll be there in This thing we don't have yet. It's almost shipping, I promise. Yeah, Next it's quarter. almost <laughs> shipping, I, I swear. And if these guys merge, we're out. We're not going to do that thing we haven't done yet, but we could do. But I think the thing that is so comical to me is the fact that Honeywell's alarm business is, you know, again, in the, the circles that we run, it's a big deal. But for Honeywell corporate, their alarm business is such a minor part of their, their actual business, realizing that they're losing space is bad. But it, for their, their overall bottom line, I don't think it matters. I, I, I don't know those numbers. I, I, but that, that sounds like that would be a good, uh, that certainly makes sense. It, it's and off the top of my head, but it's, it's significantly less than 50%. The thing that I would caution is, is what we need in this industry is continued innovation. And Alarm.com and iControl have innovated. And they've been working aggressively to, 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 to buy market share, earn market share, and grow. Whereas if you look at the UIs and you look at the nature of the, the, um, the ecosystem that Honeywell operates in, it seems like they've been milking the system that they've had in place for a long time mm -hmm. while the marketplace is changing. And so I, I think it's this really challenging situation of innovation and success um, potentially being stymied um, because of the fact that they're so successful and uh, thus becoming a monopoly. So, Well, I, I think it's, being successful individually is one thing, and those two companies are successful, but then bringing them together, I'm not, I'm not convinced that's necessarily good for the competition out there. I, I think that you know, they've worked together, they've partnered together on different things, and maybe that should continue, but not become one giant entity that you know, stifles the ability for these other companies that are trying to enter the space and, and maybe disrupt in other ways or add innovation that these two companies have not yet figured out. I mean, I know that these are very popular for, you know, more mainstream um, cable company type applications and also, you know, from the alarm.com side on the custom channel. But, um, you know, if that becomes your only answer, <coughs> you know, it's pretty limited. Um, not that they can't do a great job, but you just feel like competition, you know? Competition I, is good. I agree. I All agree. right, let's, let's go from one big fuss to another big uh, write down, actually. It seems that Toshiba is writing down $6.3 billion. This comes to us from our friend Ted Green over at strategy.com. Uh, it seems that Toshiba is still having trouble with their profit padding scandal from 2015 where they were fined and had all kinds of fun jazz there. Uh, and this huge write down is leading to some even bigger problems with their stock price. Gentlemen, you know, as you read through this article, it, it, Ted brings up a good point that they have not been putting their money uh, essentially where it should be for what they're doing, i.e. R&D. Ron, let's start with you on this one. Does this really matter to, to, to us? Well, the, I, <laughs> Matt, I can't remember the last time I saw a Toshiba product. Um, 
anywhere. Maybe maybe a toaster or something. But um, that said, Toshiba is clearly a very large business. They were the leader, and I think the, as stated in the the article, the model for the the Panasonics and the Sonys and and the very successful tech companies in Japan that have come after Toshiba. But you know what caught me, uh, you know, kind of one of the main takeaways from Ted's article was uh, the issue regarding shareholder value. And when you have these publicly traded companies that are tech companies, and yet they're, they're solely focused on really squeezing that last penny of profit for their shareholders on a quarterly basis, well then how much uh, of that profit is really being then uh, diverted for innovation in R&D? And I, I think that that's the quandary and that's maybe one of the benefits of some of the, the privately held tech companies, at least there's a few small ones here like Lutron and Crustron and some others that you know, really pride themselves on allocating a, a significant portion of profits to developing those products of the future. I, I think that's, that was my takeaway. I mean, it, it, and clearly in, with Toshiba, there's some management issues. If they're literally acquiring nearly failing nuclear businesses just a year ago, and all of a sudden they go in December from projecting 150 million, or whatever that currency is, 150 million yen profit to you know, now a significant loss, and this has all come out in a matter of weeks since the beginning of the year. You know, it's, it's rather astounding. Jeremy, is this a bigger issue with Japan's innovation in general, as we've seen other problems with other manufacturers coming out of that country? Or is well, this an isolated incident? Yeah, I mean, it seems like there's a, there's a lot of that going on there. It's an aging population. That's a side note there. I mean, it's a really tough place to be these days, I think, unfortunately. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I can remember the last Toshiba product I saw in my house, and it was a laptop computer with an orange case um, that was pretty, pretty... Uh, <laughs> it was like, like the, the, the outside was orange? Yeah, the, the shell fancy. was... Yeah, wow. yeah. And it weighed like, you know, 20 pounds or something. It was... <laughs> um, so, so that was a long time ago. It's uh, a few years ago. And Yeah. And, and uh, <coughs> I guess semiconductors are their business, which is, it's a pretty important business to be in. Um, I, I just read a New York Times article today about cinema, the, the chip business in the U.S. and how that's still a viable manufacturing uh, business and something that we're not allowed to... Uh, to sell outside of the U.S., you know, can't sell to a foreign company because of mm -hmm. uh, defense issues and things like that. So, um, I know these are this is an important that's an important business that they're going to have to sell off apparently just to become solvent again. Um, I, I I don't know if it's cultural, you know, Japan as a country. Uh, it's just an incidents of different companies here that are happening to be Japanese. Um, but uh, it, it does seem that it's part of that that aging culture that's just having a really hard time uh, keeping uh, things together for some reason. Very good. Tim, if Toshiba, and, and I'm not forecasting this, but yeah. if Toshiba was to fail, what reverberations would we feel through the resi market, if any? Well, here, here's, and um, I'm, I'm not. You're welcome. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> there wouldn't be any. 
and, and <laughs> here's say, why. I was curious what he was going to say. I was like, I don't think there will be any. No, there isn't. And here's why. No, it, even that's if, why I wanted to ask. Even if you have died in the wool to Shiva ambassador fanboys and girls, mm-hmm. there's a better than average chance that the same folks that picked up Sharp will pick up Toshiba. That's Foxconn. And back to Jeremy's point they're, they're about, about Japan, and, and there, there seems to be an issue um, with some Japanese companies. Not all, obviously. There's, you've got Sony. and Let's start with Sony. Is, and, and, you know, that's one of the bellwethers. If Sony ever gets bought by Foxconn, you know, we, we might have issues. But Foxconn worked out a deal to where they picked up Sharp, and the reason they were able to do it is because they had the capital, they had the management, they had the structure in place. Where's Foxconn located? It's in China. China, over the last 10 to 15, probably 20 years, has developed the manufacturing and the management style that Japan arguably had 30 and 40 years ago when it comes to electronics. So you, you're seeing this shift. I, I'm, I'm not smart enough to tell you whether or not that's good or bad. I'm just telling you that that's what I'm looking at it and saying, okay, here's a new player in the field that is picking up some, some significant Japanese companies, longstanding Jap- Japanese companies. They're turning them around. We had an interview with, uh, with some folks at Sharp since then. We actually did it at, at Amsterdam at ISE. And they're very excited. They're excited about it. Now, you, granted, you, you expect you know, some, some company line, but the guy was genuinely excited, even off camera, about some of the things that they're going to be able to do now that they have the capital and they have some management changes in place with, with the new with purchase from Foxconn. So yeah, Toshiba probably as a brand isn't going to go anywhere. It just depends on, on who's going to end up owning them. Well, and you know, to, to further that point, if they are able to get that influx, because again, they, they, they have had good R&D in the past, if they're able to put some of that into new R&D, they could reinvent the company and become yeah. relevant again. I wouldn't bet on that, but you're right. <laughs> a broken wow. clock is right twice a day. I am so, so glad you're it's here. That possible. was great. <laughs> oh, man. Are you saying you don't want to start seeing integrator specking 8K Toshiba panels? Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> I, I, I guess I'll answer it a different way. I don't care. What, whatever whatever the, the best product that makes the dealers the most money that's reliable, then that, that's what I'd want to see them specking. Yeah. Hey, did you did you guys do a deep dive on Toshiba and see that they had, they had come up with their own um, flat panel t- TV uh, technology that was called SID, I believe, or something like that? Yeah, that was a couple of years ago, was it not? A while ago. Like, yeah. LCD basically knocked them yes. out. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But, yeah, that was uh, that flew under the radar for me. I, was <laughs> I mean, if you look in this article, T- Ted posted their P&L. I mean, holy cow. For the last 10 years, it looks miserable. Oh, yeah. And yeah, if you're a bank wanting these guys' money, I mean, you've got to have insurance on that loan or something. <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't seem like the smartest place to put your money. It, and, you know, if you, if you notice as well, there are underpinnings from the Japanese government on it, which is not always encouraging. Right, it's well, probably backed by the government just to keep them afloat. Just well, hang on, afloat. hang on for a second. That's exactly what, what the government tried to do with Sharp, though, too. Yeah, it's not, it necessarily a bad, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing. The <laughs> hey, Japanese the U.S. Government, government bailed out the, the American auto companies, yes. and they survived and are thriving. So it can work. 
except Pontiac and a Scion, not Scion, but what was the, the Saturn went under. They had no, 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 Saturn. The no, no, hang on for a second. They had the, the government had the, the, the companies that they bailed out had to close. They had to shutter Hold Saturn. On. They had to shutter uh, Pontiac. They had to shutter a couple other ones though. Okay, yeah, so, so those to, those to companies though were sl- that was more profitable. Those yes. companies were slated for closure long before the bailout. Okay, but notwithstanding, yeah, that, that's a whole other thing. Where I I'd how did we get into that? I don't. How did you get into <laughs> this? Is know. my show, Tim. <laughs> Darn it! We've lost it already. All right, let's move on before Tim brings another <laughs> blending article up. This comes to us from CNET. There we go. Cavio. Uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce this. I, I watched the video and I still can't remember how to pronounce it. But anyways, Cavio is a product that is going to knit together your TV devices, your streaming and voice control for supposed $399 US specifically. Uh, it is a device that has uh, essentially eight HDMI ins as well as some USBs and a custom remote that are going to work all together within, excuse me, uh, with some voice control to allow you to control all of your technology. Now, this is this is something that we've kind of seen this type of thing before, uh, an all-in-one product that's supposed to put everything together and make it easy to work. Um, is this more than just a, dare I say, a, a Kickstarter pipe dream at this point? Ron? Uh, it strikes me as a, Kickstarter pipe dream that we won't be talking about a year or two from now, but, but it is cool. It is cool. Something that I would use. I mean, I, I could see the, the idea of being able to go to your favorite um, media delivery uh, channel and have it automatically know what device. So some very simple logic programming. I mean, I would say I'm probably the demographic that would buy this. I, I don't have the money or the desire to have a fancy control system in my house. Been there, done that, hated it. I'd rather something simple that me, the technophobe, could use and my wife could use. And if she wants something changed, I could probably make it happen relatively quickly, which would be good for everyone. And <laughs> this seems like that type of device. So for kind of the, the person that has a bunch of devices and you have, you know, you listen to your Netflix or you listen to Hulu or watch Hulu or whatever that is, or your Chromecast, it would, it sounds like based on the, the article and the video, it would automatically select which of those portals to access your favorite media, um, I don't even know what to call it, content uh, delivery source. That seems neat. And I must say that that's the one thing that caught me that I got excited about was supposedly that's not even done via programming. It's learning. So when you it has when, to be configured unless it has it, some AI, I don't if, know. If you, oh, let's if you put it this way. It's not even available yet. So that video could show us. <laughs> Been there, done that. Oh, oh yeah. Don't scratch your back. If you think about it. So I thought I thought I was a pessimist, and then I then I sat. <laughs> then you went wrong. <laughs> you went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> this is really it's refreshing, though, Ron. Thank you. Um, I I was uh, I was looking at this thing, going, "Wow, this would be amazing," and it would just suck for the industry. But then then I go back to nothing ever works as it's presented, and DIY never is that easy for your average consumer, even if 
average consumer is like a little higher end because they're four hundred dollars, you know. But um, I, I just couldn't see it being this simple. And you know, you're 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 <laughs> just saying HDMI is is kind of like not going to work, you know. <laughs> that's HDMI. Um, you know, short distance, the whole thing is fine. But I just think that there's got to be programming involved. There can't be just auto configure. I mean, how would it know? At some point, you're going to go to some device and you're going to pull up your Netflix. And so I do get it. There could be an algorithm that sees that if you do that a few times, just like your Nest learning thermostat, mm -hmm. you go to that temperature at that time of day, it's going to establish a pattern. And there's probably some reset on this thing where it'll go back to zero and then you could go back and reestablish the patterns. So I, I could get it that it's, it, it could learn that pattern. That said, there's got to be a way that you could override it. So right. it, there, there's some configurator. It would have to be. Uh, I'm assuming you would access it maybe from your PC, maybe connect to it via Wi-Fi and run a little app or go to its web page and then you'd be able to configure it and tell it what you want to do. Um, but so that's neat, but that, I don't know, man, I'm so numb to seeing new technology gadgets as I know all of you guys, the likelihood will be <laughs> here from now is probably, it's like 0.001%. Okay. So here, here's where I, I will disagree with both. Yeah, both can, you, can you bring something positive to the light? <laughs> well, no, no, here's the thing. This is and a and really will... nice video. I don't know that you post. guys know the last several years I, have dated me so much. I, I, I normally, surprise. like, I love to to just rag on CNET for doing puff pieces, but man, you guys killed it for me. Okay, so hang on. So, so I will reference a guy that we've had on. Jeremy and I both saw this at, at, at Cedia. I'm not saying that, so the name of the company is Josh AI, Josh.AI. Um, smart, smart company, smart folks there. And they're not doing this specifically, but they're doing the whole learning thing. It's, it's, it's an algorithm. It's, it's primarily voice-based, but it does have an app. Um, I don't know how many of you have a have a, a an Amazon Echo, but when you when you bring that in, into the house, you you connect to that via Wi-Fi. It has its own Wi-Fi, so you connect to it. it that's how you set up the uh, the experience. That's exactly kind of what I was thinking when I was watching this. John, Ron, you're right. There has to be some sort of configuration, and most likely it's something where you connect to it as a, as a WAP and. You say, okay, here's what I've got, or here are my devices, or you know, go ahead and scan the, the network and, and see what's going on. And then the algorithms take over. So the one thing that, that I'm watching over the last probably three or four years now are folks uh, from a control standpoint that are smarter than a lot of folks in, in, in our industry as the establishment, right? And we all know who the established control players are. But you've got these Silicon Valley folks who are developing stuff in their garage like they always do in Silicon Valley. And they are, they are attacking this quote unquote problem of control in the home. These are folks that, that, that are used to solving problems through computers, are used to solving problems through algorithms. And I'm not saying that this specific product, but I can see something like it using some smart people who either on a lark or because they see a genuine um, business proposition, a business chance here to come out with something that does exactly like this and has a really good chance of creating a learning, learned control system. Um, when it does, a bunch of folks that, that are, 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 we all have friends uh, in those companies may very well be in trouble. <laughs> well, and, and keep in mind that the guys behind this 
um, Andrew and, and Nadia, uh, I'm probably butchering that, but he's from Jawbone Sling Media, which is important in Dish as well as Xbox, and each from Herman. These are smart guys that play in this AI space. It's not too far-fetched. Like when we think of the traditional, you know, AVR and how it functions and how it works, yeah, this thing seems really far-fetched. But when you think of Amazon, just as you mentioned, Tim, and things such as that, it's got a lot of, it's got a lot of legs. You're saying it has horsepower in terms of intelligence, but an experience. Yeah. yeah. Did you not get the legs statement? Uh, no, no, I guess. Is, is that a Canadian yeah. reference? No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, what I didn't hear referenced in the article, and I, I didn't necessarily hear something that would strike me as patentable. And so I didn't hear did, you, did I miss that? Was there anything that seemed patented or protected in the, what no. they were doing here? No, they're going to make it and someone's going to knock it off. For I, I'm saying, bucks. so I think what they're putting out is an innovative idea. I can mm -hmm. tell you that premise of you wanting to view your content from certain devices and then having it auto remember that. I don't know that I've heard that before. Maybe I've missed it. And so that, that seems like a takeaway. And I could see that being implemented in a plethora of different devices into the future. That strikes me as a very good idea. Also, I would comment, I mean, it is a beautiful piece. Oh yeah, uh, it looks good. It, it looks like somebody from Harman I, I made it. Mind, I wouldn't mind having in my living room. I mean, it's, it's cool looking. Well, um, and it, it hits that concept of, and again, there's not enough information for, for what we as you know, integrators care about. Um, but it, it looks like it would fit really nicely into that small living room application. Where yeah. you don't, you're not looking for surround sound. You're just looking for something that quasi works. It, you know, it's a cluster right now. I, my living room is is an example. I mean, you got to pull out the remote for this and the remote for that. You and should you call an remember. integrator. Well, I should, but like, I, you know, do you know I, any? I, I'm in this this weird gray period. You don't want to talk to me about that. <laughs> I love integrators. I represent them. I do their marketing. But there's this. All right, I'm going to put it out there. There's this price point where you have to, you can either afford to get all the care and attention and service you want and need. And then there's this point where you're willing to be a do-it-yourselfer inventor. And I'm in neither of those places. <laughs> I'm in this middle place where I want the shit to work. And I want to put in the least amount of effort necessary. And I don't want it to cost a fortune. This seems like a product in that niche. And so that's, it does strike my interest for that reason. Um, but yeah, I get it. An integrator could take care of my problems, but then I'd have to call him when I want something changed. Well, if you want no, to be you get the code, you get the code and you move on from there. And yeah, you just steal the code from them. And you don't steal it. You download a bootleg copy of automation. So yeah. Let's let's promote. Let's that not on, have that conversation. <laughs> That'll be yeah. a different podcast. Oh, it's, oh, it's been several. Ron, great for the Resi show. <laughs> yeah, and support. All right, guys, let's cut it there uh, before we get into too much trouble. Thanks, y'all, for being here. That was a very informative show. Jeremy, where can people connect with you? On Twitter at ResiSys or uh, via our website residentialsystems.com. Very good. Ron, thanks again for gracing us with your presence and, and vast intellect. Um, <laughs> that's the worst time for me to take a breath. <laughs> Podcast host and comedian. 
<laughs> no, don't, don't, no. All right, where can people connect with you, Ron? Uh, you know, the best place is uh, go, go to my company website, onefirefly.com. There's a link to all our social channels there. Uh, I uh, also can be uh, emailed ron at onefirefly.com. But I, I keep, I, I don't Twitter. I'm not uh, Twitter certified. So uh, don't try to find me on the Twitterverse. But uh, yeah, just go to my corporate website and you can find me there. Perfect. Very good. Tim, where can people connect with you? Uh, here, AV Nation, uh, if you want, I do, I do the, the Twitter. It's TD Albright, Tim David Albright on the Twitters. I think the official term is I do the Twitters. Okay. I do the Twitters. Do the Twitters. Twitters. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, thank you again, uh, all three of you, for joining us. For myself, if you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter at Matt D. Scott and pretty much every other social channel under that tag. But more importantly, please stop by avnation.tv. You'll find this show as well as a wide variety of other shows. When you do uh, stop by the site, please take a moment to check out our underwriters. They support us, and we are extremely thankful for their support, and we ask that you support them as well. Thanks again for joining us. That's all the time we have for this week's episode of Resi Real. <laughs>